Good day, good people. It is your friend, Rashawn Ali, and we are so very happy to have with us today a cool soror of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Her name is Dr. Kimberly Manning, and she and I have known each other for quite some time, but this is our first time actually sitting down to have an in-depth conversation. And let me tell you, you will be so inspired she is the epitome of kindness and that's all i could think about throughout this entire episode and you will be just um, very moved by her story and the way she chooses to live her life we recorded this episode a week ago right before she celebrated her 25th deltaversary of being a delta from tuskegee and uh, she was going to be hanging out with her lion sisters and celebrating homecoming. And so she'll talk about that uh, during this particular episode. But you will see why I decided to name this episode Kindness Personified with Dr. Kimberly Manning. Enjoy. You know you gotta be a cool soror to talk to the cool soror herself. I'm a cool soror. Hey y'all, I am a cool soror of What's up y'all, I'm a cool soror of Hi, I am a cool soror of It's the Cool Soror Podcast, hosted by me, Rashawn Ali You know, every once in a while you get someone on your show that you've been trying to get on your show for quite some time Someone you've been admiring for a long time, and I'm really, really happy to have Dr. Kimberly Manning join the Cool Sore podcast, and she's a Cool Sore of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hello, Kimberly. How are you? Hi, Rashawn Ali. <laughs> my BFF in my head. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this has been a long time coming. It really has, and I'm really, really happy that you are just in my presence today, because not only do I have I admired you from afar, um, how we know each other is crazy. Right. Um, I think you're an amazing writer and you need to be writing a book. <laughs> do people tell you that? They do. Yeah. They do. Your they Facebook do. posts are so good and in depth. When did you start like just chronicling your life like this? Um, you know, I think I've always enjoyed um, storytelling. I mm-hmm. come from a family of storytellers. Like okay many of our people. Yes, of course. Um, and uh, when I was in middle school, I had a really amazing teacher who told me that I was a good writer. Yeah. And I enjoyed writing. And so I always have like, kind of written things down. But I, I really owe a lot of the chronicling to my husband, who is a man who got tired of me telling him all my stories. <laughs> He's like, write it out. He said, baby, you need to write all of this now. <laughs> so you could tell somebody else. <laughs> yes. Bless his heart. All right. Yes. I love it. I love Harry. Love you. Uh, doctor of medicine at, at Grady Hospital. You went to Tuskegee. We're going to get into all of that. You're from Englewood, California. I don't know why your soul spoke south to me. Before I even got this piece of paper. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, do people know, tell you that? They do. But, you know, when you think about the great migration of our people, um, we really are all anchored in the South, right? So my mom is from Tuskegee, Alabama. My dad is from Birmingham. Okay. My dad is one of 11 from Birmingham. So he took all the country with him out there. Right. And, um, you know, most of my friends, I mean, when I think about all of my friends in Inglewood, all of their parents were from the South. Okay. So, um, and with parents having gone to Tuskegee, um, we always had a connection to the South and always felt anchored here. So. Right, right. So did you automatically know that you were going, go, going to go to Tuskegee even growing up? 
Or did you have dreams of UCLA or USC and uh, places closer to? So I'm a, I'm, um, so I'm one of four and I'm the middle daughter. Okay. So I'm, I'm a very typical middle child, which was like, I am not going to Tuskegee. I'm right. not. And my brother wanted to be a veterinarian. So, you know, that was a, a clear path. My older sister is an engineer. And so I was, I, I had actually decided I was going to Spelman. I had applied to Spelman. I knew they had a good pre-med program. I thought about Xavier, but I heard they didn't have a football team. So that was out. Right. Um, <laughs> and was, and me and my best friend were, we were going to Spelman. Right. And, um, um, my dad actually took me to visit Spelman, and what he did was he flew me into Atlanta. Me and uh, to, he said, "Let's go see your brother and your grandmother and everybody in Tuskegee first, and then we're gonna go do our tour of Spelman." Okay. So clearly, we get to Atlanta on Thursday night and drive to Tuskegee and get there on like late Thursday night. I wake up Friday morning uh-huh. to drums and to like singing because my grandmother lived a block from campus. Uh-huh. It was homecoming. Oh. And it was the most spectacular, like, school days, movie-looking homecoming ever, ever, ever. And my brother at the time was dating a Delta Uh from Tuskegee Uh who came and got me from my grandmother's house and took me on the yard. And I experienced a Tuskegee homecoming with a Delta walking the hallway as a high school senior. And then Monday morning, we go to Spelman for my tour. It's Uh overcast. People had rollers in their hair and hanging out. And my best friend went on to Spelman. We had some good times at Spelman. I'm sure I would have loved it there, but I got hoodwinked. Yeah, you did. He knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, yes. yep. it, and it worked. It worked. You, yep. So when you got back, did you like make the decision then? Like, okay, Tuskegee, it is? Well, I knew when I... When we left Spelman, I knew I wasn't going there. Yeah, I knew I was not going to an, uh, a women's college. I said I don't, I don't see myself at a women's college. Uh-huh. And I had applied also to Howard and had been accepted there. I knew I wanted to go to HBCU, but um, I just could not shake that experience, that Tuskegee homecoming. Experience. Yeah, I mean, many people can't. I have been trying to get under that shed <laughs> for like four years. I saw a video, and I always heard Tuskegee homecoming. Any HBCU homecoming right. is gonna be pretty lit. Right. But when I saw that shed video, yeah, I was like, how can I get under that shed? Right. Right. What do I need to do? And it is, it is timeless. It's like if you went to Tuskegee in '88, '89. <clears throat> The 90s, the shed looks the very same. The only thing that looks different is people have on like slightly different clothes. Right. But the whole energy, it's exactly like when I was a student. Man. It doesn't change. Right. If you are out there and you just want to see what it's like, what they do under the shed, just, I'm sure you can just Google it and you'll find it. Several no, videos. You, you will have come to up. Google ball and parlay. But I ball have, and parlay. But I do have to give the disclaimer that the, the line, the song that we sing um, says, whether sunny or gray, we gon' ball and parlay. Right. We get crunk every day. Not yeah. drunk. Crunk. Oh, we I get, always thought it was crunk. Yes, but yeah. you know, people are like, you say you get drunk. Oh. We do not. We do not. We're scholars. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Did you did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Um, no. No, mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I I like people. Yeah. I just like people. And so I, I did know that. I knew I always liked people. Um and you know, I grew up with uh, parents who were very good at affirming us. And so um, I knew that whatever I wanted to do, I could do it. That yeah. I knew. Yeah. And I was good with science. I was not so good at math. So I knew I wasn't going to do anything like engineering or anything. And so, um, you know, I just, it, it, it kind of made sense. And I, I will say that what really made me decide to go to, to um, medicine is that my dad wanted to be a doctor. Uh-huh. And he's from Birmingham. And he grew up at Jim Crow graduated high school in 1961 in Birmingham 
And he was a very good student, actually sixth in his class, just like me. And he told his high school counselor that he wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And he was going to be the first in his family with 11 kids to go to college. And the counselor said, bless that counselor's heart, um, you need to go um, to major in engineering because that's what the jobs are. That's that's where you'll get a good job. Uh And if you don't get into medical school um, as a biology major, like you can teach, but as far as your your financial, um, um, you know, potential, you will limit yourself. You need to major in engineering. And my dad said, "But I'm not good at math." Mm-hmm. And the response was, "Well, you need to figure out how to get good at math." So my dad took six years, six and a half years, to finish Tuskegee. Wow. And when I said I wanted to go to medical school, my father was like, "What? Oh, you going to medical school? Right? You go to medical?" I was like, "Okay." Yeah, because he probably was taking that conversation that he had with that counselor and turning that thing around for you. Yeah, I mean, I went to medical school because I could. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I could. Yeah. And and um, and I love people, so it was a good fit. But I, I, I imagine there are many things I could have been happy doing. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. You you write a lot about your father. I knew you had a long mm-hmm. – uh, I was at Father's Day. I don't know. It might have just been one of the days you wanted to talk about your father. Talk mm-hmm. about your relationship with your father and – um, both of your parents affirming you and you in turn aff- affirming your children. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a book that I love and it's um, it's called Mindset. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's by a woman named Carol Dweck. And um, Mindset talks about how um, people can have two s- forms of mindsets. There's a, a, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And the growth mindset is where even if you fail, things don't go perfectly, you look at everything as an opportunity um, and this potential. And a fixed mindset is that your success becomes a defining of who you are so that when you fail, um, you know, you unravel. And my parents, though they, that book wasn't out then, I think they really instilled in us um, a growth mindset. Um, I always sort of thought that, you know, I will win at things or that I could win. And if I didn't win, I thought I could eventually, right? right? That it would work out that maybe it wasn't my time. And so you just grind harder when things don't go great. And so my, um, my dad in particular, he has a very strong personality and um, I think uh, had a great influence on me. Um, But I think um, praising us for effort, I think was really important. Um, he didn't, uh, you know, go on and on about how our looks or anything like that. Um, and like if I got all A's on a report card, he'd say, you worked really hard mm-hmm. and look, as a result of that, you got all A's mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. for you. Right. Not, you're just so smart. Mm-hmm. And we were really bright, gifted kids. And, and, and if the, the whole narrative had been about how we're bright and gifted the day that I failed something. I would have fallen apart because now the narrative has changed. I'm no longer bright and gifted. But if you tell me that my effort was what was good, oh, that's good. Right? if you tell me that my effort is what was good and that's all you talk about, if it doesn't work out, I say, oh, man, I can just put in more effort. Right. You know, so I say that to my kids. I, my kids are 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 very different people, but man. they're amazing and smart and great people. But my little boy who plays football He's he's really good at it. He's a great quarterback, but I always say, dude, you worked so hard all summer. You worked with that trainer. You you practiced sprinting, and as a result of that, look at how much faster you got. Right. Look at how much better you throw. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah. I just focus a little bit more on that. I'm glad you said that because um, our older daughter is is gifted, mm-hmm. um, and I need to change some of my language now that you said that. Yeah. I mean, I was like, wow, you just. You're so smart. You do. Now I need to, I, I like 
now that you said that, that I need to talk about effort. And I, and I don't know if I focus so much on the effort more so than how easily it comes to her. Right. And what's so cool is that even if you aren't gifted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the whole discussion in the house is always about effort, yeah. then, you know, we've seen people lap folks who, who the harder worker win. Oh, right? the hard, yes. I'm married to one of the hardest working people. I know who's the first one to tell you. He's like, man, look here. You don't want to see my report card growing up. Right, right, right. But, but effort is everything. Man. You know? We have a lot of like, mantras and stuff in the house that we say to the kids every morning yeah. and um you know a, a part of it you know it is effort is between who you and you yeah you and you oh that's good <laughs> every day every day yeah ours is uh, do your best and be a leader they've it. been hearing that since they could understand words yep. yeah and then they and that's all their marks all of their reports from teachers and everything that they say about both of them is that they're leaders because they've been hearing it that's what's up they've been hearing it um you said your son plays football with mm-hmm. you being a doctor mm-hmm. um do you worry about concussions of course you worry about it but yeah. um how are you able to kind of separate the doctor from the mom to the yeah. cheerleader and all of that so you know it, it's a i would say that's a very controversial topic um but um for me, what I what I think is that with all things, there's you have to measure it out. Um, you know, I let my kids ride in my car. I let them ride bikes. I let them skateboard. I let them swim. There's so many things as a physician, um, and you know, my background is in internal medicine and pediatrics. So oh, yeah, I've seen yeah. I've seen child traumas, and I've seen a lot of them, and and they and a lot of bad things can happen to children in in many ways. And so what we did when um. Our son decided that um, he wanted to play football. And I, I'm married to someone who, who grew up playing football. Right. So we knew that this was something that was going to come up. We first wanted to make sure that he absolutely wanted to do it right. and, and was right. really into it, that this wasn't daddy ball and us pushing him toward it. He wanted to do it. And then the next thing was to find a, a park that was organized with, you know, not everybody kind of going crazy or anything. Yep, yep, yep. And then I told my husband, you have to be out there coaching. And so... Um, we do kind of, um, I admit that I kind of guide my son towards positions that are the ones that are lower um, um, injury positions. Um, currently, he's a quarterback, and he plays corner. Okay. Um, those are actually some of the lower injury mm-hmm. uh, positions. Uh, but, you know, when I think statistically about all of the people I know that have played football, all of the people I know, and I've known a lot, um, and I think about what they're doing and I think about the discipline that they got from it and who they became as a result of it. I'm trying to think about who of, who of those people have I met that are, you know, um, you know, having a lot of effects of, of um, their years playing football. And, and let me be very clear for people who have been affected by, you know, um, close head injuries with football. I don't want to downplay that Absolutely. at all. Um, but for us, the personal decision um, was to be very careful and judicious and to find the right park. And we have. And we've been very engaged as parents. And um, I, I think that our son will benefit more from it than not. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's talk about how much you love Grady Hospital. You are a champion for Grady Hospital. I mean, all of your your handles are at the Grady Doc. I mean, at Grady Doc. Like you, you love Grady and you talk about your experiences every single day on your Facebook page. Why do you have so much passion for this hospital? Because um, Grady, it, it, is, it is like a ministry. It serves the least of these. And, you know, one of my favorite um, 
verses in the Bible, you know, says that, you know, the greatest among you will be your servant Mm -hmm. and you serve, you don't go work at Grady. If you, if you, you know, if you're bougie and want to shine, you know, it is just, it grounds you. Um, uh, and, and I, and I think what I love the most about Grady too is, is, and why I talk about it so much is that I like changing the narrative of what people think of Grady. Yes. People think gunshots, car wrecks, Grady. Um, but Grady is humanity. I take care of patients on the hospital service at Grady and in the clinic, and I don't work in trauma at all. Um, but I meet people who were like there when Grady was segregated. They were there when, you know, Martin Luther King was preaching at Ebenezer Baptist Church, our immigrant population and all of the just the grit that they have and the tenacity um, you know, watching the HIV epidemic evolve, you know, through Grady and all that Grady has done for our patients. And even as, you know, we watch people, um, you know, grow into who they are and the gender that they wish to be. And it's just so many things that Grady does, um, so well. And many people don't know this, but every single physician on the faculty at Grady hospital is either appointed by Emory university or Morehouse, um, school of medicine. Oh wow! So there aren't people, there really aren't too many doctors who are just employed by Grady. There may be a smattering here and there, but for the most part, um, the same doctors that you see at Emory hospital, um, at the VA, um, Emory hospital, Midtown, um, at the Morehouse clinics, they're the same ones that, that are see at Grady. Grady. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it was actually a very competitive job to get. It wasn't like I came to Grady and they said, please work here. Right, right, right. You know, I, I, I had to grind to get that job. It's a very coveted job, but I'm surrounded by um, coworkers who, who want to serve. And every single day that I'm at Grady, um, I walk out of that hospital a little bit better. Yeah. Every single day. I, I go there and I walk out and I feel like I did something meaningful and it's not me just doing for them. They do for me. They, the, my patients at Grady do way more for me probably than I do for them. In what ways? Um, just lessons, you know, lessons, um, um, a deep appreciation, um, for life, um, um, deepening my connection with God, mm-hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> I can hear the Lord a lot better <clears throat> since I started working at Grady and, um, the elders at Grady, I mean, the elders, just the, just what they've seen and what they've been through and how, how resilient people are. It is amazing because it is some people in Atlanta, Georgia, Rashawn, that are losing. I mean, losing Wow. with their health financially. I mean, on the struggle bus, but those folks get up, they put their pants on, they take two buses, a train, they come to Grady some of them sitting in the lobby waiting for somebody to wire them $10 for the copay, Just, you know, and they, and they make it happen. They make yes. it happen. And I'm like, what am I complaining about? Right, right. So much wisdom. I mean, it is not, you do not have to have degrees and letters behind your name to mm-hmm. be wise. And, right. And I just get a lot of wisdom from Grady. Good, good. You know, you, you mentioned that um, when I send out the information sheet for this show, you know, always ask, what's the most important thing you want to share with your audience? And one thing that grabbed me, you says, you said, I laugh hard every day. I cry at least once every day. Do the patients make you cry? What, what makes you cry? Everything. But yeah. the thing that makes me cry the most is kindness. When people are kind, it always, always makes me cry. And, you know, 
I see some really, really kind things. I hear some some really kind things. Yesterday at Grady, um, there was um, a patient um, or person who was um, standing in the coffee shop, and 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 he was kind of milling around, and he was hungry. Mm-hmm. He was just hungry, and you know, someone looked over and thought that he was going to try to steal something. Right, right. Um, and <clears throat> the security officer kind of approached him and I thought was about to put him out. But what he did was grabbed a sandwich, put it on the counter, paid for it and handed it to the man and walked out. Wow. And that made me cry. Yeah. I was just like, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. But even the security officers who agree to work at a place like Grady, they're different kind of people. You got to be wired different to go work there. Yeah. Or you will burn out. Uh-huh. Um, so their kindness makes me cry. Um, you know, I reflect on things that make me cry. I look at my kids sometimes and just feel so happy that they're my kids. Or I look at my husband and just be so glad he's my husband. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I... I I think a lot, and I think if I think about anything long enough, particularly things that are rich, I'll cry. Yeah. Yeah. You have a beautiful zest for life. Um, was it always that way? Um, yes and no. Um, I would say mostly yes, sort of. Um, but what changed um, for me was my level of intention about my life. Okay. Um, um, as I've told you before, um, on November 15, 2012, my older sister, Deanna, she um, passed from a sudden cardiac death. Um, she lived in Atlanta. She was an educator, a middle school educator. And not only that, she was my soror in my same um, alumni chapter, which was awesome. But she, um, unlike her sister, who was good at, she was good at math. She was an engineer. And so she used to pick my kids up after school every day and um, sort of serve as my mommy's helper. She would do homework with them, do everything. and. One day, um, she didn't pick my kids up. I was trying to call her, and uh, my sister was never late getting my kids. She Ever, always felt right. like your kids should never be the last to get picked up from aftercare. All right. And I couldn't reach her. And and I, it was like God gave me discernment immediately. You knew? Yes, absolutely. I knew. I was. I, I knew that something was extremely wrong. And I called my husband, who just so happened to be near the kids' school, and said go up there and if they are there something terrible's happened and he got there and called me and he said they're here and it was about 20 minutes to six and <clears throat> six o'clock is at it, six mm-hmm. right yeah and so I you know was driving um I, I was driving when he called me and I just turned and started driving toward my sister's house and and I was and I was praying and um and I decided to just pull my car over on the side of the road and I pulled over and I spoke to God like, I'm talking to you. Yeah. I said, now look here, God. Now, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I want. What I want is for there to be a very good explanation for all of this. She overslept. She took some Benadryl, was right. tired, right. something. I said, but I think what you're telling me is that something bad has happened. And if that is true, if that is true, you are going to need to show yourself to me. You are going to need to order my steps because if you took my mother and my father's child from them... It's not going to be them that can that can coordinate anything. My father is usually the one who takes care of stuff when stuff happens. It won't be him. I said, so you are going to have to give me some supernatural powers. You're going to have to have me like as woke as woke can be. Right, right. And um, and you're going to have to keep my wits about me. Um, and 
so, so that I can, so that I can, I can take care of my people. And that is what he did. I mean, Whoa. you know, and I am, I'm an emotional type, you know, but I was not, you know, and the first thing he put on my heart was call your mother and tell her to prepare and don't go in that house until you get there. Call the police. My mom beat me to the house. She did not go in the house. And, you know, it was just like, God was just telling me like hey, every step, every step. And so after all of that happened, after my sister passed away, um, you know, of course it was awful. We were only 20 months apart. My family's very close. Right. Right. Um, right. But if you had asked me before all of this happened, could I live through that? I would be like, no. Right. You might as well just take me with take her. Me with her. Right, right. 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 But the first thing now I know is that, nope. I, nope, he's got stuff for me to do. And I, yeah, yeah, he, I can make it. But, you know, in medicine, we talk a lot about when bad things happen, people have post-traumatic stress disorder. But there's also this thing that very few people talk about called post-traumatic growth. And and what wow. happens is when out, when something really traumatic happens, how you've seen people kind of rise out of the ashes of it and emerge as something like stronger. Um, and no, I, I, I would prefer not to have that lesson through the loss of my sister, but the the level of awareness that I have about my life Oof. is totally different now. I am I am a very conscientious steward of my influence. I know I have influence on people. So when I say something on Facebook, if you don't want to read it, don't read it. Unfollow me. But I'm gonna say what I have to say because I know I I I I know that I have some good ideas. I know that I think a lot, and I know that I think I, I'm I, I pay more attention then maybe some other people pay attention to it. And maybe what I say might make somebody else pay attention to something that they're not paying attention to. Right. Right. And sometimes that's something funny, but sometimes it's something not funny. And so um, that long winded answer to your question is really to say that, yeah, I always had a great zeal for life, but now I'm, I'm much more laser focused in what I do. Like when I see somebody and say hi to them, I stop Rashawn. I turn my whole body to them. I put my eyes on them. I say, hi, how are you doing? You know, I give people my full attention when I'm talking to them and when I'm dealing with them, whether that's a patient, whether somebody is lost in Grady holding a piece of paper and trying to figure out where to go. I stop everything and I turn and look at them, you know, and before I didn't do that, you know, before I would be kind of nice and, you know, friendly. So I'm, I'm intentional about each moment and I'm also um, very um, intentional about who does not get my space, Ooh. who does not get my space. Because, you know, when people are angry, you know, and, it, you know, it's really just that they're sad and sad people are mean mm-hmm. and, and mean people do not get to have a whole bunch of my, my, um, I cut the O2 off on them. Yeah. Right. I cut the O2 off. I walk away. I will not be mean to you, but I will redefine you. Right. Yeah. Until you ready, you know, you ready to, you know. Be nice. Yeah. Be nice or leave. That's pretty much me. <laughs> Be nice or leave. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And so you have a tattoo to honor her yes, with sister. And so that sister, but sister, that tattoo means yes. even more than yes. honoring her. It does. Explain that. So, um, I mean, you know, we know what it, what it, so as black women, we're sisters. Right? Absolutely. Um, as, um, I'm Deanna's sister and Jolay's sister and Will's sister. So they're my, my siblings. There's my sorority, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course, I'm a sister to those women, and they were absolutely a sister to me in, in, in our darkest day. My sister was my sorority also, and watching them rise up around us reminds yep. me of that. Um, 
And then, you know, in Jack and Jill, I'm very active in the Atlanta chapter of Jack and Jill. And, you know, I'm sister to those women as well. Um, but I, I just like to think that um, when I, I put it on my right wrist so that I would see it every day. Yeah. When I brush my teeth, when I put on mascara, put mm-hmm. it in contacts, mm-hmm. I see it. And I and, you know, and I don't even mind when my patients or somebody points at it and they're like, is that a tattoo? Yeah. And I say it is. It is. Do you want to know about it? I'll uh-huh. tell you about it if you ask. How long have you had it? Not long. Yeah. I got it recently. I actually. can tell. It's still a little red. Yeah. It's a little, yeah. It's a little fresh. It's a little fresh. A little, little neo. It, little right, neo. You're a little neo. Little neo tat. <laughs> it's not my first one. But um, I, I had, I said that when I made full professor at Emory that yes. I would get a, get okay. a tattoo, get okay. a, my wrist tattoo. But I haven't made full professor yet. That probably won't happen until next year. And one of my um, alumni chapter sorors, um, a soror named Ayana Card, she mm-hmm. said, why you always say that life is short that like what if what, what if you don't get a chance to do it you wow. should go do it mm. and um and I said you know she's absolutely right she's right and um so I called her I was like okay you gonna come with me right right, right. <laughs> so um Ayana and I one day on a lunch break um went over and I got, I got a tattoo I love my it. medical student advisees were like Dr. Manning is that a tattoo <laughs> I was like, boom, you now gotta, what? Right, you got to live, baby, you got to live. That's I know right. they love that. I That's know they right. love that. And you're speaking of uh, your soul roars. Um, in the spring of 1992, you became a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Yes. Yes, did Delta Sigma Theta choose you, or did you choose Delta Th- Sigma Theta? Um, you know, I chose Delta Sigma Theta, and I was very grateful that it chose me back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, know? right, right. You know how it goes. Right, because, right. I mean, let's keep it 100. And, you know, when we were talking about um, growth mindset, um, you know, I, I think well of myself and have for many years, but I did not make line the first time I um, tried. But you wrote, really? Oh, no, I did not make it. I tried in spring of 90 at Tuskegee. And, um, you know, God knows what you're supposed to do and when. I didn't make line. You know, I didn't make it. I was a sophomore. I didn't know hardly nobody. Right. Maybe. I don't know what it was. People were nice to me. I just didn't make the line. And it's so funny because the, um, <laughs> I remember when they came to hand me my rejection letter because, you know, I go into things thinking I'm going to win. Right. Like, always. I got 3.9 GPA. I'm a, I'm good folks. I'm going to make lines. So I had planned my, my semester out. I'm going to be online for Delta. Right. So they hand me the paper and Rashawn, I look at it and I'm reading it and You're I like, say, this can't be mine. So I'm sorry does this mean y'all have a line and I'm not on it? Oh my God, you said that? <laughs> She's, the big sister was like, uh, I'm not at liberty to say that. Um, I'm just letting you know that at this time we can't extend your membership. I was like, wow. So I walked back to the house. I'm like, I think there's a line and I'm not on it. Oh my God. <laughs> but it all worked out great because I had taken so many AP classes in high school that I had enough hours by one hour to run for Miss Tuskegee. Ah. And there wasn't a Delta running for Miss Tuskegee that year. So as a sophomore, you I were ran, Tus- I was. I was the first and only sophomore to win Miss Tuskegee. So after that, that that, that fall ninety was that spring ninety two, spring so ninety two line. Yeah, right. A, they were like, Yes, 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 yes. Well, I don't know about that, but as a <laughs> as a but I knew I knew that it was their right to mm. to choose who they wanted for win. Absolutely. You know? And so I because I grew up with a growth mindset when they did not pick me. That did not mean that I was not Delta Caliber. It right. just mean it wasn't my time. Right, right, right. You know, and, and now it's funny because I'm about to celebrate 25 years at homecoming this year with my line sisters. And I can't even imagine having been on the Spring 90 line. And I love my big sisters. Right. But I wasn't supposed to be on that line. You're I was supposed, supposed to be on, to be this on one. Spring 92. Well, happy Deltaversary to Thank you. Thank you, man. Yes, yes. I know you got a big weekend plan yeah. for Tuskegee homecoming and all of that good stuff. You have so many things that you do. 
Is there like one thing that you haven't done that you said before it's all said and done? I got to do this. Oh, I have to write a book. Oh, honey. I, I have to write a book. You have to. I have to write a book. Your writing is so good. The imagery you use, I feel like I'm there every time you write. It is impeccable. Thank you. Please, whatever you write about, what is it going to be? What, what do you think it's going to be about? I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, my blog is called Reflections of a Grady Doctor. And so typically when I write, I write in, um, I mean, not outside, I mean, outside of stuff I say on Facebook. But when I write on my blog, I usually write essays that are about anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 words. And so the, just sitting down and writing a whole novel, I, I've never even thought about what that would be like, you know, because I'm used to writing things in one sitting. Uh-huh. Um, so I think about things like um, anthologies of short stories. Um, that would be good. Yeah, I think about my experiences um, at Grady. Um, one thing that I think about a lot um, is uh, that I really um, think a lot about my relationships with women. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of my blog posts um, a few years ago was called The Book of Ruths. And, oh, that's um, good. Yeah. And I call my closest friends and women who have stood by me as sort of radical sisters to me, like who just go above and beyond as my Ruths as Ruth in the Bible yeah, absolutely. Um, was uh, to Naomi. And so I've thought about like writing a book of Ruth's, just stories about um, relationships that with women. Yeah. That would be really good. Yeah. So I, I know, you know, it's just, I, I just doing too much. No, it's okay. <laughs> and we love all of it. And you look good all the time. It's funny how um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast about how, we knew each we knew each other then had the connection of your husband right. because your husband and my college boyfriend uh-huh. went to a ranger school together they did yeah and they so did. i met harry before i met you right and then i used to see you on tv and i was like that sister is so sharp Aww. and so dope um doing your doing uh your tv stuff so you don't do a lot of tv th- stuff anymore right no i don't and you know <laughs> why okay so it's funny, like this is one of those things that um, I started doing TV out of my love for Grady. They were trying to improve Grady's sort of PR, and I was asked to go over to Fox 5 and do this weekly segment to improve Grady's PR. And if it's for Grady looking better, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, you know, so I went and did that. Um, and then from there, it started leading to other opportunities like, oh, you know, come talk to Anderson Cooper. Oh, All right. come do this, come do that. But I just never loved it. Gotcha. Understood. I didn't. I, didn't. I always felt a little bit uncomfortable. I okay. felt a little too on. Um, and, and you know, I, I do understand, though, that there are things that are bigger than you. I do. And I do know that sometimes you have to do things that, you know, aren't necessarily what you think you want to do. But probably if I was to say something that I'm just most, most proud of, I am far prouder of you know, me writing something and it getting published in, you know, the JAMA or, you know, in a journal. Right. Then having been on Dr. Oz or Anderson Cooper or something like that. I'm all, I'm always slightly embarrassed even when it comes up. It's weird. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's this weird thing. The, the best part, though, about, about at least the big media, like the CNN and all that stuff, was how acutely proud it made my parents. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were just... My daddy, oh my God, he would be beside himself. Oh, I know. My daughter on, she on Anderson Cooper. Everybody, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, they texting you while you on TV. Oh, of course. 
You like, know about that. Oh, I do. You I do. realize that this is live. All right. That you texted me. Yeah. Good. Um, well, I hope that I can coerce you into coming to down to the sister circle to do a little segment or two. I, I, would do, I would do that because I know I could be myself. Oh, the, yes. See, the things I was doing before, um, I was there as a medical commentator. Okay, gotcha. And I was on. You know, mm-hmm, I, and mm-hmm. I liked, we had a good time at Fox when um, Mark Hayes and those and guys were there. Yeah, yeah. they were just so laid back. But then when they started kind of making some changes, they wanted us to straighten our laces a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, we ain't doing all that. <laughs> no, no, no. Awesome, awesome. What is your definition of cool? Huh. See, I listened to your podcast, Rashawn. I should have been ready for that. Should have. Uh, Dang it. Got Snoozing. you. Okay. Um, my definition of cool. Let me think. Um, um, okay. Confident. Um, observant often. And love filled. Oh, that's good. C-O-O-A. No one. I love it. No one has ever done that. Yeah. C O O A. Ah, I love yeah. it. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love it. That's what you are. Yeah. Usually, when people give their definition of cool, it's really kind of d- defining who they are and their own coolness. And you are just that. You are just. I appreciate that. that. So you talk about the mantras. We're going to wrap up in a second. You talk about the mantras that you give to your children. What do you tell yourself every day? The same thing I tell my children. Mm-hmm. And um. The, the words for them are the words for me. And um, those words are, um, I am the head and not the tail. Yeah. I'm a leader and not a follower. Mm-hmm. I'm a child of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I always choose kindness. Yes. Who is effort between you and you? What is attitude? Everything. And that's what we say every day. And I say it to myself. It's for, for me too. Yeah. And then my favorite is just my hashtag of all things, is, which is love is the what? You know, what do I do anything for? What do I get up for? What do I go hard for? What do I write for? Love is the what? Love is the what? Yep. You are love. And I, uh, what's your sign? Virgo. You're Virgo. Virgo. My younger daughter's a Virgo. That's why I love you. Picky in particular. (laughs) Picky in particular. Picky in particular. Picky in particular. Well, thank you so much. Dr. Kimberly Manning, I appreciate you spending some time with the Cool Sword Podcast. You are always welcome back. And I'm just so glad that we had the opportunity to talk. And I'm sure the collective enjoyed this episode because it was love. Appreciate you. Dr. Kimberly Manning, everyone. My name is Dr. Kimberly Manning. And I am a clinician educator at Emory University School of Medicine based at Grady Memorial Hospital. And I am a cool soror of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Gamma Tau Made, and SMLAC Paid. Ooh.